Welcome in a Friday locked on Syracuse getting you guys ready for the weekend game against Boston College inside the dome tomorrow at noon. We'll have our prop shop and our picks for that. But first, we got to talk about the news coming out of Durham kind of reports after Ian O'Connor's book is about to drop on Coach K that maybe Tommy Amaker was pretty close to being the next Duke head coach and what that might mean, that strategy for Syracuse's take on a successor. That's all coming up on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you guys for making us your first listen every single weekday. We are here with you only place for daily SU pods. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We'll be live tweeting the game tomorrow as we always do. It is Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki here with you today. Also check us out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So the news comes out earlier in the week, Ty. And I think there were some slight reports this before that Tommy Amaker was in the running, but New book dropping on Coach K from Ian O'Connor, and he, I guess, has a segment in the book about how Coach K kind of pushed Tommy Amaker out. And I read that caption at first, and I was like, oh, maybe there's some bad blood there. But it seems like it was more just it didn't really fit into what Coach K wanted plan-wise because you have John Shire already on staff. So Mm -hmm. if you bring in another coach, then Shire's just sort of – sitting there knowing that he hasn't won the job that he wants. And so basically he would have had to bring Amaker from Harvard over for a year to sit and get the recruiting and announce the plan. And then he would take over after a year of being an assistant again under coach K. And he also would have probably had to cut Nolan Smith who you just promoted or guys that were already on the staff because it throws off the friction of that. So it's an interesting thing because I feel like there's a lot of similarities between Tommy Amaker and Mike Hopkins and the situations they're in. Right. That's the perfect way to parallel it there. And it does create the the interesting comparison to Syracuse because this decision is going to be coming up in, in the not so distant future as well. And I think one of the things that um, you got to remember with all of this is that what we're seeing here at Duke is that the coach held the power because it seemed like the administration from Duke university wanted to have Tommy Amaker be the next head coach at, at Duke mm-hmm. and coach K got his way here. Are we going to see the same thing at Syracuse? Maybe the administration wants Mike Hopkins. Maybe they want to revert back to the plan that was in place once upon a time that they effectively signed off on not too long ago where it was going to have Mike Hopkins be the next head coach at Syracuse. Maybe the administration still wants that, but at the end of the day, what we're going to see is Jim Beheim holds the power here. And one of the things that is interesting with the whole Duke thing is that coach K won, wanted John Shire so he could still have a fingerprint on the program. And that's a whole nother wrinkle to this entire yeah. story. Yeah, it's interesting because last night Coach Beheim was asked during the Q&A part of the Q's uh, Twitch stream about how much influence will you have on your successor? And he quickly shoots it down and says, I don't have any say in that. Like, we hired an athletic director. I think he's really good. I had no say in that. And I'm, of course, paraphrasing here. He did say something like, I can say some things and I can speak on a couple of the mm-hmm. candidates, but it's not his decision. And that's what he made adamant last night. Now, 
Of course he's going to say that, right? He's not going to come out and right. say, oh, yeah, that's all by my doing pick, it. I can't right? wait yeah. to, to handpick the next guy. So I Which don't really he did think... before, in fairness. Like, he did it before. He tabbed the successor. Yeah, but, I mean, technically speaking, Kent Severu tabbed him. So if, if you're Coach Beheim, you could say, yeah, you know, like when Pop was here, I, I liked him and I said a, f- a few words and Kent Severu had made that decision. I think if you go to the people that are making the decision and you read back, I mean, after the Duke announcement came out that coach Shire was going to take over, I remember John Wildtack had a big press conference and that was one of the questions he was asked about. And he pointed to, we've got three really capable assistants and really singled out Jerry and red in particular and said, Alan's done a really good job. He's a little less experienced than them, but Jerry and red could be coaches anywhere in the country tomorrow. My take on the whole thing, and I think I've stayed pretty consistent throughout this, as much as I really like Hop, after him leaving going to Washington and the struggles he has had there, and because he is kind of the Tommy Amaker in this situation, I just don't really envision a path where Mike Hopkins comes back as the head coach. Maybe he would have to lose his job at Washington and be back on the staff, but even that's dicey because then you're kicking someone off the staff. You create the the awkward dynamic. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, too, because Alan Griffin, I think, is quietly been one of the better assistants on that that group of three. When you talk about some of the big development, when you talk about some of the recruiting stuff that he's done as well. So Alan Griffin quietly has been one of the more effective coaches on that staff. So it'd be tough to bump him. And you're obviously not going to bump one of the two guys that people think are jockeying A and B to be your next head coach. Here's the one thing, because this gets back to the coach K wanting to have influence beyond his coaching tenure at Duke. I don't think Jim Beheim is as power hungry to continue to have that influence. And here's why with coach K, like the writings on the wall, I think a little bit from a health standpoint, like he left the game the other day, did not come back. We're not exactly sure. I haven't seen anything about when he is slated to come back and coach for Duke. It might be out already. Um, But he's had health episodes in the past. Roy Williams has had health episodes leading into his retirement. Jim Beheim had cancer over 20 years ago. And pretty much since then, I can't remember any sort of medical flare-up that's made him miss a second half, that's made him miss a game. I think, like, of all these coaches that are of the older elk right now, he is by far and away the healthiest, and he's also the oldest, too. Yeah. (laughs) And and I think that's a, a really important thing is that He's going to coach as long as he wants to. And when he's done, I think he's just done. Like, he's done. He's Like, obviously, he's going to watch the games. I'm sure he'll go to a, a number of the games and still live in the area. But I, I think that from a, a power standpoint, I as long as he wants power, he's going to be the head coach. He's not going right. to leave and, and still want this power because if he's going to want the power still, he's just going to keep on coaching. Yeah. It's all that Pilates he's doing, right? Exactly. That's, that's and like credit thing. to him, yeah. man. Like 77 no, years old and you're not seeing any of these health flare-ups with him on the sidelines. And for a guy who in such a high stress job to still do what he does is, is insane. It, yeah. Like think of the people that you know that are 65 and can't do half the stuff he's doing right now and are still not as mentally sharp as he is right now. It's it's maybe underrated how healthy he is because there are times when I watch him and then all of a sudden I see him get up like slowly or something. I'm like, Oh yeah, that guy's what, what is he now? 76, 77. 77. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 
it doesn't make sense to you because I'm not saying he's the most well-spoken guy ever, but it's not like he's dropped off in press conferences or he looks tired or he looks ill. Ever. He's the same and, guy at 55 as he is at 75. Yeah, yeah that's... I mean, I'd love to be that down the road. I think we all would. It's pretty amazing. And I joke about the Pilates, but clearly whatever he's doing is working for him. I Some just people think it's can't funny. walk at the age of 77. Yeah. And and he's patrolling the sidelines, going on recruiting visits, doing this, doing that, doing right. charity work, going and doing these radio shows every week. No, like, he's, it's, it's he's crazy. definitely still very much the same guy, which is awesome to see. The one last thing I'll say about this is it just reminds me that I couldn't find the exact quote. I went digging this morning, but I do remember once the Duke announcement came out, Beheim was quoted as saying something to the effect of sort of hinting that this is what they will probably have to yeah. do in the successor plan. And yeah. just the way that him and Coach Casey eye to eye and a lot of the stuff they talk, you would assume. Team USA that, stuff in the past. Yeah, you would assume that he's probably going to go about it the route of this is my final year. And I know we had James Zubon and he was like, I don't think he wants the farewell tour like that. But I do think there's a selfish angle to it. And sure, the farewell tour is nice if you're egotistical and, and that's your thing. But also, it's just better for the transition and recruiting, I, right? I so agree. that's yeah. that's why Coach Beheim likes it more so than the other. And I'm not really sure if it's fair to say that's why Coach K did it, but that's the joke, right? So I think it kind of doesn't rule out Hopkins, but to me... I'll once again say it just feels like it's 99% that it's going to be Jerry or Red, one of the two. It's going to be the next head coach. Yeah, I'm with you. I just wouldn't rule out Hopkins because based on what we saw at Duke where they wanted to go outside the family, and, and that's a very family-driven, family-oriented program. And, and Tommy Amaker is yeah, still family per right. se, but not in the immediate family at the given time, I guess you could say. Um but they wanted to go outside and they the administration sort of seemed like they wanted to go outside. And then it was ultimately Coach K's decision. And then at Syracuse, like you're talking about a guy who was once upon a time tabbed as being the next head coach, signed, right. sealed, delivered, all that stuff. So it's someone that John Wildhack obviously would have been comfortable with becoming the next head coach once upon a time. And maybe now that we're, what was it, like six years now later, might still be the case. It would have been interesting in a different parallel world if Mike Hopkins just crushed it for five or six years at Washington and he was in line for another bigger job, maybe yeah. if he wanted it, but we'll never know. I, I do think that based on how he's done and based on how Wild Heck has talked about Jerry and Red, it feels like he's going to go that direction. Or but when we talked with Jeff Goodman too, like imagine if Hopkins had gotten the BC job and crushed yeah. it at BC. Like, it would not be a contest. It, this thing would be decided at this point that Mike Hopkins would be the next head coach at Syracuse if he was doing it in your conference. Yeah, and again, you got to pick one of the two. We've talked about this a lot, but then that other guy, what does he do? Let's say it's right. Red. It's going to be Jerry awkward. Stay on? That's the awkward conversation. I'm sure Jerry could happily get another job, or maybe not happily, but he could get another job somewhere else. And vice versa, to, too. So. Red could yeah, do the same. right. So, all right, football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news. 
this season. It's not just basketball now. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. So speaking of betting, we'll go into our fake betting now and the prop shop. A little update on that after I went three and two in the last game, which feels like it was eight years ago against Virginia I know, you haven't Tech. done one of these in a, in a long I know. time, one of these previews. Yeah, so I'm 65 and 62, up $1,040, fake money, of course. And then, Tyler, you're 59 and 69, I think I have that right, down 325 after a two and three week last week you uh did hit on the barama under minutes last week we set it at 12 and a half last week i think he played three or four minutes i'll lower it to 10 and a half this week i'm gonna take the over again because i feel like after a week of practice Beheim has been pretty insistent that we have to be patient we have to make sure after not playing in a while that give him some time but he keeps saying stuff like we think he can give us something and Against BC, I think this has the makings of a game where even if he struggled, you leave him out there for extended time because you have the game in the bag in the second half. I'm still going to go with the under. And I just think I'm going to keep riding the under until I see something that tells me otherwise at this point because I look at Brahma and I just need to see it. I just need to see he him be capable of giving extended minutes and well, do I think it'll be more than the last game? Yeah, I think he'll probably sit in the neighborhood of six or seven minutes in this one. But as long as Frank stays out of foul trouble, like there's a world where Frank stays out of foul trouble and plays upwards of 40 minutes, like maybe even goes the wire to wire as the center. As long as he's out of foul trouble, that's ultimately what's going to dictate it because at a certain point too, you got to remember Barama is very foul prone as well. Yeah. I mean, he came in <laughs> no and what do you have? Three fouls, two fouls in, in his, in his very oh, yeah, limited same. time out there uh, against yeah. uh, Virginia tech. So I, I just, I keep seeing that and thinking to myself, you know what? Frank's going to still get the, the majority of the run and to the point where he could be dominating in the neighborhood of maybe even close to 40 minutes. All right, as for who will lead Syracuse in scoring, Cole Swider led Syracuse in the last time, just over a week ago or so, back on February 8th when Syracuse played at BC. He had 21 points in that game. Gerard had 19. Buddy had 14 in that game. So we set the odds for this week, as we always do, for who will lead Syracuse in scoring in this game. Buddy is minus 145. Gerard and Jimmy plus 350 each. Swider plus 400. Frank Ansela makes it at plus 800. And I guess if you want to throw in another, you could put a plus 1000 next to that if you want to get dangerous. I'm going to take Buddy again. I took him last game at minus 145. He came through for me. It's tough because we have to start putting his odds at like minus 200. I, I feel like there's <laughs> there's just not a, a good way to do this bet anymore because it is already pretty dicey to take a minus 145, given that it's BC and he might not be a focal point throughout the entire game, but I'm going to do it. I think, yeah, Buddy is the the smart pick. Um, I'm going to go with the – I'm going to try to get a little too cute here, I think. I'm going to go with Joe Girard, plus okay. 350. Again, you brought up he had 19 points against BC last time. It feels like he plays pretty well against BC, and, and it's just Joe Girard back at home. 
Not going to be a, a ton of pressure, I don't think, on him in a game like this. And, and you got to remember, this is the start of the long stretch, too. And I wonder if if this thing starts to get out of hand, if Jim Beheim tries to get Buddy Beheim a little bit of extra rest at times, or even like yeah. put out the three guard lineup to put take a little bit of stress off of him and make sure he doesn't have to run baseline to baseline as much, uh, sideline to sideline, I rather. Um, so I'm gonna go with Gerard. I, this could just be one of those games where he goes four of six from three. He gets some some good looks from two as well. Maybe gets to the free throw line a couple times too. I'll, I'll take Joe Girard with the plus 350. All right. Well, we will make our picks for the game and the over-under in just a second. But it is the time of the year that pretty much everyone has given up on their New Year's resolutions. But not this year for me. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Built Bar has tons of delicious flavors. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. Even their puffs, which are a fan favorite, also are covered in 100% real chocolate. Some incredible flavors on the puffs. You can go with the coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. There's tons of good puff flavors. If you haven't tried those, they are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow bars. They're fluffy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they are covered in 100% Real chocolate, somehow good for you as well. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So right now, Ken Palm has this as a 10-point game in favor of Syracuse, the home team. Last time, I think the spread was somewhere around four when Three, these two teams wasn't met. It? Yeah, it was really it low. Was, it was oddly low, and we were both yeah. very skeptical of what were we missing. Right. It was one of those where you go, oh, Vegas knows something, but they didn't know something. And right. I think you and made we called them out recently. for it. We called them yeah. out for it. Yeah, you don't usually uh, cycle back and say, oh, Vegas actually was wrong. Usually you just give Vegas credit. But yeah. there was an instance last time where they were definitely wrong. It ended up being 73 64 final but it was the type of game that hung in the 8 to 12 to 14 point neighborhood the entire second half never really felt in doubt i'm gonna say they cover i mean bc is kind of reeling i know they they did just play a good game against notre dame but still syracuse at home should win this game by 10 or more and you look at the the whole rest factor too. syracuse well rested heading into this one meanwhile you got a BC team that's coming off the road after playing, like you mentioned, that 45-minute overtime game against Notre Dame. That can take a lot out of you at times, yeah. especially this late in the season. This is an opportune week for Syracuse. So for them to come away and and have a full week of rest, meanwhile, you get a pretty beaten and battered Boston College team that not only played the full 45 minutes, but that's demoralizing too when you take a team like that to overtime and then lose as well. So mentally and physically draining there. I, I'm with you. I'll take Syracuse to cover uh, the 10 in this game as well. When you look at, again, this is the start of the five game in, in nine day stretch that we've alluded to yeah. on this show. Right. What, what to you is successful in this for these next five games in a very time condensed fashion? What is, what is a successful record for you? Yeah, it's interesting because Syracuse women's basketball has been going through one of these stretches, too. I think they have four and seven days or something like that recently, and it's just the makeup game getting thrown in there. 
you got to win the next two, BC and Georgia Tech. Notre mm-hmm. Dame's going to be very tough, I think, on the road. Then it's Duke at home and UNC on the road. I think successful would be three wins, but more than likely, like Ken Palm is projecting you to win the next two, then lose the three after that. I could see that happening because I just don't think they match up well against UNC or Duke at all, given their size. Uh, To me, yeah, I'm with you. I think that it is likely going to be a two and then three. Maybe you can flip one of those one yeah. of those, but like you cannot, there's no room for air to drop a BC or a Georgia tech. To me, I think it, it depends what your end goal is. And, and to me, I mean, I want to see this team try to make a, a last second ditch effort for the tournament. And to me, the success would mean you have to go four and one. If you want to at least put yourself teetering into the conversation, because if you don't go four and one, you're not even going to be in the brink of the conversation here. So for me, success is is getting yourself into the tournament conversation. And right. for that, you have to go four and one here in this five game stretch. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, weirdly, Duke feels like a winnable game just because the crowd's going to be huge. UNC, though, I will say if you do beat Duke, then you, you could talk yourself into maybe you're riding some momentum going into that UNC. Here's game. the thing you about would- UNC. You'll know in the first five minutes right. of that game whether or not Syracuse is going to beat UNC. Yeah, it's. It's a very puzzling team. Carolina before, is blow out or get blown out. Yeah. Before this pit game, you could have pointed to, okay, well, they're really good in the Dean Dome. So that'd be a concern given that Syracuse has to play them there. But Pitt just basically blew them out. I know the final ended up being right. nine points or something. That was a 20 was point game. Yeah. Yeah. It was 20 and ugly early on. And that was very surprising considering how much Pitt doesn't have to play for and how much UNC does have to play for. BC has kind of hung tough for the most part. Their two games since Syracuse was Duke, a 72-61 loss at home, a game that was kind of like this UNC game we're explaining. They were down 18-19 throughout a good chunk of the second half, sort of padded the stats a little bit late. But this Notre Dame performance scares you a little. The weird thing is they've lost a couple of rotation players, and they've been down a couple guys. Like Quentin Post was out of that Mm -hmm. Notre Dame game due to COVID. And he was such a big factor against Syracuse when Jesse Edwards was out of the lineup. So I don't know what that means for his status Saturday, but if you don't have him, that probably increases Syracuse chances even more. Right. I look at the, we, we talk all the time on the show about spot games, right? Like, this is a good spot for Syracuse. This is a bad spot for Syracuse. Right. This is a really good spot for Syracuse for a lot and of the reasons that I laid spot, out. Bad spot, bad spot, bad spot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. First for I a guess, while. Yeah. I guess the, the Georgia Tech game is probably a good spot still because you're staying at home. Yeah, it's a good Georgia, point. I think is Georgia Tech they, playing they on play Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Okay, so then it's the quick turnaround for Georgia Tech. So I think good spot there, but bad spot against Notre Dame on the Wednesday. Um Playing Duke is never a good spot, I don't think. Um, and then you get into Carolina. That's another quick turnaround, and you're on the road. Bad spot situation there. So you're looking at two good spots, but those are the two easy sort of, I don't want to say layup games, but they feel like they should be layups for you in this five-game stretch. It's going to be very interesting. We can pick the over-under in just a second. It's 146 for that. But to me, what will be very interesting is, does Jim Beheim, a guy who has come out and said, you know, you should be able to play 40 minutes in college basketball or you're not in good shape. And there's so many breaks now in these games. And that's mm-hmm. why he goes to, and he always points to other teams like Villanova that uses a limited bench. And it's, I agree for the most part with him, it's maybe overblown that guys get tired. So that's his mindset, but he has to understand 
five games in nine this is days. Different. This, is different. February. this is different. It's February. It's not November where guys are at some of their freshest points of the season. Like you had in battle for Atlantis exactly. where you're sure it's three games in three days, but it's November. You haven't had the tax of an entire season on you quite yet. This is Man. mid late February. And, and these legs are starting to get heavy. We've seen some of the performances at times where, I mean, you talked about that Virginia tech game uh, earlier this week where yeah. guys just look dog ass tired. And well, you he can't said after BC, I think, I think it was BC. He said something like, we need a day off. We're tired. And that's when we had the conversation on this podcast. Well, <laughs> do you need a day <laughs> off now? now? Look ahead. Yeah. And after they got blown out in the final game against Auburn in the Bahamas, he said, we just got tired. So he has been willing to admit when they've gotten tired this year. I'm just interested. It's going to go completely against his normal strategy, but does he factor in, where they aren't going to be tired in this game at all, and it's a must-win game, does he say, you know what, I'm going to play John Bowl for some minutes in the first half here, or does he approach it as, this is the game where I can play the normal lineup because they've had a week off, and then later on down the road, maybe Wednesday is when I start going into that, because it's tough because the games only get tougher and tougher, in my opinion. Right. So, And that's why uh, I think yeah. with this situation, these first two games – you need to blow the doors off of these opponents so you can get walk-ons in, where you don't even yeah, have to rely on ideal. a John Bowl or a Barama Sidibe for minutes. You can let Patty Casey, Arthur Cordes, all those guys <laughs> run around and give you two, three minutes just to – I mean, you, ideally, you can get it in both games. They're at home. Um, it's a quick turnaround in the case of the Georgia Tech game. Boston College just played a really hard-fought game on the road and lost in overtime, like – they should be a little bit on the tired side heading into this one. Meanwhile, you've had a week to refresh here. If you, The first half is going to be so critical in yeah. both of these games in determining what could happen in games three, four, and five. Because if you, if you can at least maintain a semblance of freshness heading into that back-end stretch, you're going to give yourself a chance. If you're going to be tired against Duke, against Carolina, I'm sorry. You're going to get your doors blown off in those games. It's almost like after 10 minutes into the first half, he has to make a decision. If they are on pace to blow them out, maybe you just ride with the starters and you try and get the score to 20, 30 points. And then Mm -hmm. you have the benefit of using it. But it's interesting because usually he never uses the bench in the second half and he opts to use the bench in the first half when it's less meaningful minutes. And that's when he would throw in maybe a John Bull or Barama. So I'm curious to see how he handles this because like we said they should be fresh for this game, but you have to be thinking down the road now, given how limited the bench is and how deep into the season we are. So going to be an interesting game against BC noon tip for that one. We will have you covered on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse, I guess over under real quick. I'll take the over. I think I took under last time in this game and it went under, but I feel like in the dome, fresh legs for Syracuse, at least for this game, I could see Buddy dropping 28-29 in this game and they kind of finding their rhythm from three. Like, this is one of those 90 candidates for Syracuse. Back home, I mean, you look at their last couple of home games here as well. Uh, I'm just perusing through. In their last three home games, they have hit 91 in each of them. So it could be, okay, what is BC going to bring to the table? And can they get you 56? Yeah, I think they can get you 56 in that regard. So, yeah, sure. I'll go with the over as well here. I think Syracuse, this could certainly be an explosion game for their offense. 
All right, we are both on the orange, according to Ken Palm, as 10-point favorites and the over of 146 for this game. But we will recap it on Monday. It'll also be kind of a quasi-Georgia Tech preview that we'll have for you guys Monday morning. So be on the lookout for that wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, and we'll talk to you guys then. Oh.